get me. From Studio A in Arcata, behind the Redwood Curtain, it's time for... Suckatash. Suckatash Clips, the original comedy soundcast featuring snippets from comedy... Soundcasts. And here's your host from up the coast, practically unknown outside of comedy soundcasting, comedy soundcast soundcaster, Tyson Saner. Saluton, it is once again I, Tyson Saner. I'm still your host for this curated assortment of audio content from various locations around the globe. And if you are still listening to this, then I'm still grateful, and I wish you a warm welcome back. If you are listening to this for the first time, then welcome. I'm glad you found us. I've got an interesting selection for you this episode. We've got clips from Are You Talking R.E.M. Re.Me, The Gooncast, Unladylike, Food to Watch Films By, Pretending with Dice and Unspooled. We've also got a classic Henderson's Pants ad and a double dose of Raging Moderate Will Durst's Burst O' Durst segments. In fact, we're leading the show with our first Burst of Durst. This one is from May 25th, 2018, and it's titled The Main Microcosm, in which our intrepid correspondent heads for the high road and takes a low turn. Hey guys, Will Durst here with a most sincere attempt to make amends for my tiresome history of making cheap shots at the expense of our 45th president. So today I am taking the high road with an in-depth analysis of one of the most critical problems facing the country today, his hair. All of the woes of the world can be reflected in Donald Trump's unique aerodynamic quaff. It's a microcosm. The very key to the man is his golden canopy. Look at it. No, really, give it a gander. Everything about it is wrong. The color, the texture, the shape, the intended result, the finished product. Not to mention his unshakable belief that it looks good. America has questions and our commander-in-chief needs to answer them. What is it, really, on his head? A wig? A weave? Implants? Extensions? A carpet sample? Or part of the pelt of a marsupial? Does he carry around the antidote in case that thing stings somebody? Does he wash it or sing it to sleep? It's not so much the hair as the brain underneath that thinks the hair is cool. And even using modern technology, exactly how much time a day does it take to recreate his groovy haircut from the 70s with drastically fewer resources? Gotta be at least a half hour. That means three and a half hours a week. And he's been president for 70 weeks, which works out to be 245 hours, a little over 10 entire days. Think of the things that might have been accomplished with an extra 10 days. He could have played another 40 rounds of golf, fired a dozen more communications directors, maligned another six or seven branches of the judiciary, and barbers around the country want to know, how does he achieve that frontal swoop? Hairspray? Stitches? Scaffolding? Stainless steel rivets? Glue? That would explain a lot. Sniffing glue for that long. Yeah, it does explain a lot. For Succotash, the comedy soundcast soundcast, I'm Will Durst. All right, our first soundcast clip is from the soundcast Are You Talking R.E.M. Re.Me? by Airwolf and Scott Ackerman and Adam Scott. The iTunes description reads, Adam Scott from Parks and Recreation and Scott Ackerman from Comedy Bang Bang come together as superfan Adam Scott Ackerman. 
to discuss the music and impact of the band R.E.M. through an album-by-album album analysis. Listen to these friends break down everything and nothing about the band. This is good rock and roll uh, music. This is the podcast formerly known as You Talking You Too to Me. Now I've listened to You Talking You Too to Me, and that show debuted back in 2014 on February 26th, for those of you keeping track. This clip is from their episode called Green? Question mark with Lance Bangs, which is actually right before another episode called Green with Lance Bangs, no question mark. And this episode was released on April 11, 2018. The episode description reads, Director Lance Bangs joins Adam Scott Ackerman to discuss R.E.M.'s sixth studio album, Green. They'll talk about R.E.M.'s partial reunion in Portland, when Lance first heard of the band, and how Lance began to know the band and start collaborating with them. Plus, Scott and Scott tell us a little bit more about themselves on an episode of Talking About Me. Uh, Lance, welcome to the show. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome for having you. <laughs> Um, it's really, really nice of you to come. Very nice of you to again. come do the show. We uh, we want to talk to you about the band. Uh, Can I say? Uh, yeah, that's this is actually you and I met through the band. We did because I would. This is so. We, I was on Party of Five, mm -hmm. and I remember one night I was at Naomi's apartment, and I was online. Who's on, Naomi? Uh, my current wife. Okay, right. And I was going through um on murmurs.com, you remember that old REM yeah, yeah. fan site? And why they, you, why is she with you? Yeah. Exactly. That's <laughs> you're, over, was, you're over in her apartment. This is prime sex time, bro. This is 1999 and I'm looking <laughs> the up the internet is nascent at right. this point. <laughs> I'm looking up REM fan sites. It's loading. And, it's and, like taking forever to load. And on our, uh murmurs.com they say REM set to appear on Party of Five. And I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> That's the show I'm on. And I and will continue to be on yeah. for a long time. <laughs> for ever and ever. <laughs> so I got the name of the uh, the number for the line producer of the show who oh, I'd never even and I this started, is why you didn't come back I know I started <laughs> making sure I could go to the REM taping oh. like we like hi I'm on the show but like I'm sort of on the show sometimes but I just need to make sure uh, uh, if I'm not shooting that day oh, I can come so embarrassing and, and so <laughs> they did they played uh and they they came and they recorded one song for the show but then they played a full show just for a small crowd of people but then you were around uh were you working with them then or were you just kind yeah, of probably just tagging along um yeah. most likely chris bilheimer yeah been chris. The person that that uh so i met chris there but then you were i can't remember if you were actually yeah. at that show you were i believe so, at the, yeah. it was at the roxy up on not the roxy but up on on a vine and a little up above hollywood what's the name of that place now the paramount now or, it's called the avalon maybe oh yeah yeah yeah. Oh, the yeah. It's not. It was. It was the. Uh, what was it called? Back yeah, because I went to a million shows. Me there. too. It's called the Avalon the Palace. Palace. Yes, it was the called palace. the Palace. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So that was one of two times I saw REM at the Palace. At the palace. Yeah. Really. I saw them warming up for some other tour there, but mm. not this one. This was uh, around up. Yeah, they came back and they definitely played the Palace like mid two thousands and did like a surprisingly damn, aggressive, is, fast up tempo song. This is so boring. Set playing things that they hadn't done in a long time. Yeah. I remember they played Strange Currencies uh, at this other palace. Well what what, what what are we supposed to talk about? What what podcast is this? Um 
Yeah. So anyway, that's how Lance and I met. So you guys met. So so what was the meeting like? Did you recognize Adam from something? I think I don't. I had not watched bed in anything. <laughs> I don't. Is it, I remember the first time I met you, Adam. Do you yeah. remember this? I feel like we were in a in a car. And you were a friend of Paul, uh, Paul's, uh, Rudzy. Was it right around the shark tank or shark tales shark time? Shark tank. <laughs> <laughs> wrong, wrong show. Uh, it might have been. I don't know. I don't remember. I was, I remember I was writing a pilot and I was like, Hey, you'd be really good in this. And you were like, uh, I'm not really doing TV right now. No, I did. <laughs> no, I did. <laughs> yeah. I did. Yeah. Oh my God. I mean, like a Morgan Freeman project <laughs> yeah, at the yeah. moment. And, uh, Oh my God. Uh, so I think fun. we played poker or something like that. I can't remember. Well, why. I remember at Ham's one night we played poker and you, and, and all night you were like, Adam Scott. <laughs> that was a different time. Okay, okay. Adam, what was I saying? That was you? a couple, few years later. Yeah, it was a few years later. Yeah. Um, but I don't know why I knew you either. Cause I, I'm like, what was the first thing you ever did that, that, uh, uh, got, got any kind of, uh, attention? Oh, uh, not, not till. Much later. I don't know why yeah. then I knew you, but oh, I was like, I was like, maybe that's what an Ashley Judd movie. Yeah, that was the Morgan Freeman yeah. one, but it, I, it maybe, never really maybe Veronica con- Mars or something. Yeah. Uh, anyway, who knows? But yeah. uh, we're all friends now, and that's fun. That's what really counts, guys. <laughs> if you want to listen to more of Are You Talking REM Re Me, you can go to Airwolf, you can go to art19.com, and you can go to iTunes. You can also reach out to Scott Ackerman on Twitter at S-C-O-T-T-A-U-K-E-R-M-A-N. And you can reach out to Adam Scott on Twitter at Mr. Adam Scott, which is M-R-A-D-A-M-S-C-O-T-T. Coming in at number two, we've got The Gooncast by Garage Goon Media. According to iTunes, The Gooncast is a NYC-based podcast featuring stand-up comics from throughout the city. Listen for new episodes every Monday or catch up on the archives. So the earliest episode of this soundcast on iTunes is listed as dropping on May 17th, 2015. This clip is from episode 161, which was released May 28th, 2018. And its description reads, This week on the Gooncast, the squad is joined in the ridge by comedian Jesse Eichner. They start off immediately giving their takes on Harry Potter before discussing Jesse's new allergy and J-Max concussion. In the second half, the squad delves into the Drake Pusha Tea Beef, New York politics, trading America's draft picks, dojos, suing your parents, and the ongoing peace talks with North Korea. This clip has to do with Jesse's new allergy. Speaking of evil doings, uh, the sun, <laughs> evil, evil. I've been saying this for years. I, fu- I, hate, I hate soul. El Sol. But I fuck with Soul Cycle. I soul do like Soul Cycle. Cycle. <laughs> uh, Peloton? Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> Big time. I love it. El Sol itself. El Sol, uh, I, I hate the sun. I'm in an all out war against the sun now. What, what happened? Just, oh, we got some walk through. On you, so we might even show. Can't really see it unless you. It's gotten a lot better. But I basically have like. So it looks like freckles now. But I had an absolute. I, I was diagnosed with polymorphous light eruption. Oh my what god! TML the? E. <laughs> wait, wait, cool. poly, polymorphous poly- light eruptions. What Spider Man has? No, <laughs> light eruption. I two weeks ago started out getting like kind of like a little bit of a, a, a rash on my arm. wasn't that bad. Went to the dermatologist. She gave me a cream. She didn't know what it was. Two days later, she gave you cream. Give me some cream. She didn't know what it was. Sour <laughs> cream. She didn't know what it was. She was just like, "Go home, try this cream." Yeah, just like, baste oh. yourself with this cream. Yeah, go ahead. The dermatologist sucks. <laughs> she, uh, two days later, the rash started like 
filling with liquids. It was like pimples all over my body, like an itchy and like looked oh, horrible. Like it was burns. like blisters. Blistered. Yeah. It was like in clumps. Went back to the dermatologist. She sent me to my doctor. Did you my, pop any of the... The doctors did to test the liquid. Oh, oh what was the What was People the thought liquid? It was, the liquid was this, this polymorphous light eruption. Or, I don't, <laughs> did they save it? What is this? I don't know what they did That shit it. gets you fucked up. You ever drink some polymorphous <laughs> light eruption? <laughs> it was disgusting. Um, the doctor didn't know what it was. Primary care physician didn't know what it was. I started getting fevers and like flu-like symptoms. Um, then Did you think you were going to die? No. Never <laughs> die, but like there was like a week and a half where no one knew what it was. Because... They, she, I then went back to the dermatologist. She biopsied one of the uh, these pimples. She like cut it and like sent it to a lab. Whoa. And that was yeah. done on a Friday. And then they could, didn't get back the results till the next Wednesday. And in between, I was getting really sick. I was getting uh, this, this is funny. You're stuff. just this in fucking. This is hilarious. Just in limbo, fucking. And you keep going out into the sun this whole time, making it worse and worse and worse. Exactly. That is <laughs> no, seriously. That's that's what made it worse because they didn't diagnose it at that point. Yeah. As like a, a, they couldn't tell summer. though. They they couldn't say. No idea. Oh, this is obviously from the sun. No, but they could have said like it could be. So you should in case you should cover up. But, but I wasn't. But they kept giving you this cream. Like it's very rare. How rare are we talking? Uh, there's a thousand cases like of this, but nothing as extreme. They wow. said I was like one in a thousand of like how bad it got. Wow, you were uh, the guy that they're probably gonna base some shit off <laughs> yeah. of. You're yeah, getting, the Agner a, eruption. Yeah, <laughs> you got a credit, man. This is, <laughs> this is huge. It's big. One of the one thousand lucky <laughs> enough to have the, the, the PLMA award or whatever. It's huge. It is. Uh, the, uh, then. Uh, after I got biopsied, my fever's getting worse, mm. so and I got dehydrated, so I had to go to the hospital. And when I went to the hospital, they didn't know what I had, so they thought I had chicken pox or herpes. <laughs> herpes. <laughs> put me on chicken pox slash herpes medicine. They thought you had herpes on your forearm. <laughs> they didn't know what it was. But I've already had chicken pox. And, I'm, and I'm herpes. I still have herpes. But, uh, <laughs> they Her- put- that doesn't go away. <laughs> oh, never. Uh, Side note, I I learned during this experience that my mom had herpes. She was like, oh, I've been on that medicine. It's <laughs> insane. It's been a fun ride. So who is the one who suggested the son might be doing this to you? Or did you come up with it? It wasn't a suggestion. It was just the janitor. Like uh, he's allergic to the sun. (laughs) You know what? It's like a a Matt Damon movie. Fucking Will Hunting. Yeah, yeah. House MD. They were all these doctors were just fucking doing like a mind meld. I went to the hospital. They put me in isolation overnight. (laughs) So like I was all anyone who came and talked to me had to wear like a mask and like a suit. it It was banana land. Wait, they're um, in a, like a hazard suit. Yeah, yeah, man. Not like a tub. They want you spreading that. They're shit. all wrapped up. Could uh, be contagious. Yeah, but it's, it's not contagious now. But mm. basically, the biopsy result. They had like pathologists look at the biopsy, and they were able to diagnose it based off the the biopsy that it was a sun a, an exuberant sun reaction. Exuberant. Reaction. I don't wow. know if exuberant. exuberant. <laughs> <laughs> so. Why now? <laughs> Why That's, now? These are all great questions. You've been around yeah. a while. You've been in the sun. <laughs> so you just heard Billy, Bobby, Joe, J-Mac, and Jesse Eigner. You can reach out to Billy on Twitter at BillyWavy, B-I-L-L-Y-W-A-V-Y, Bobby at Bobby Hilzy, B-O-B-B-Y-H-I-L-Z-Y, Joe at God Personified, that's G-O-D-P-E-R-S-O-N-I-F-I-E-D, J-Mac at Blues Clues O-G, 
B-L-U-E-S-C-L-U-E-S-O-G. Jesse Agner at um, Jigs? Jigs? Well, if it was Esperanto, it would be Yeigs. It's probably not Esperanto. At J-E-I-G-S. And the show at The Gooncast. T-H-E-G-O-O-N-C-A-S-T. And you can go to www.garagegoonmedia.com. G-A-R-A-G-E-G-O-O-N-M-E-D-I-A.com. All right, in our third slot in the show, Unladylike by Unladylike and Stitcher. Show description is, find out what happens when women break the rules. Those unwritten but all too real bullshit expectations of how we should live our lives. Kristen Conker and Caroline Irvin, formerly of Stuff Mom Never Told You, tackle questions through their trademark obsessive research, stories from rule-breaking ladies, and a solid dose of delightful feminist rage. Now, the first episode dropped on January 8, 2018. Now, this clip is going to be from episode 14, called How to Shoot a Gun, released May 29, 2018. The description of the episode is, Women overwhelmingly buy guns for self-defense, but statistics show guns escalate violence across the board. Kristen and Caroline talk with two firearm fans to find out how much that feeling of safety is worth and what's at the root of women's fear. Was there anything that prompted, beyond your enjoyment of guns, um, that specifically prompted trigger warnings founding? Yes. The election of Donald Trump to the presidency of the United States of America. I mean, because I know so many of my friends that are queer, so many friends and family members that are people of color, and everyone's looking at these racist, sexist, homophobic people coming into office. And, you know, there was like this upsurge in neo-nationalism, which I find personally kind of terrifying because, you know, the last time the Nazis came to power, they systematically killed people like me. And, you know, general like people thinking it's cooler to be more bigoted in public and worrying about it. I know a lot of people that were like really worried and they're like, God, do I need to get a gun? So Feeling looking, a sense of, of being physically endangered in yes, public more so. and worrying about – and I mean I have honestly experienced that. I have been out and transitioning for wow, four years now. In the past year, I have seen more bigotry and hatred and violence directed towards me than the previous three years combined. I see a lot of people on the left that I know that will be coming. They're like, oh, I'm really kind of interested in maybe getting a firearm to protect myself or looking into it. What Dana's talking about here is part of a broader trend of gun ownership and safety training among marginalized groups like LGBTQ folks, African-Americans and Muslims. Especially post-election, a lot of folks say they're concerned about protecting themselves from racial and gender-based violence, which goes right back to people's need and desire to feel safe. A quarter of female gun owners list self-defense as their only reason why they own a gun versus just 8% of men who say the same thing. And Dana says she really started to grasp that desire for self-defense that women tend to have more so than men after she started to transition. Because even before I transitioned, I considered myself to be a feminist because I'm like, well, you look at it objectively. Women don't have things as good as men, I feel. So we should support equality. You know, they only make 70 cents on the dollar <laughs> and, you know, other stuff. And transitioning is maybe like a stark raving, like, kill all men feminist. Because <laughs> I'm like, oh, my gosh. It really kind of sucks being a woman a lot of times. You get treated like crap. And what, tell, me, tell me a little more about that. In what, in what ways are you Feeling safety it? issues, worrying about unwanted what? attention from random freaking strangers. I think the thing that, um, that personally bums me out the most is um, when I realize that I'm a 33-year-old woman who's afraid of the dark. I, I, I resent that feeling of, of not 
wanting to go jogging at twilight because as soon as it gets dark and I'm my body's like out same I'm like I'm always kind of like I always feel I always feel very vulnerable whenever I go outside I am acutely aware of how vulnerable I am to whatever might happen but like one of the things especially that clicked me that's realized how f- messed up things in this country are is that going to transition talking to my women friends and safety things what we tell our daughters and our sisters and our wives and our mothers to how to defend themselves and be aware of when they leave the house is the same mindset that we teach our soldiers to do when they go out on combat patrols. And that's fucked up. You go outside your house. Pay attention to your surroundings at all time. Head on a swivel. Be paying attention to your gut. Every place you go to, judge whether that's a safe place to go. When people come to speak to you, be polite and respectful, but you always have to be thinking and preparing for if this dude freaks out and pulls a knife on you, what are you going to do? You always have to be thinking that. Training for that, though, I think can also kind of like – it can screw with your head a little bit. So it can cause stress because it is very stressful because if you go around thinking that everyone's going to hurt you, well, that's just not very mentally healthy, even if it is true. Yeah. I mean, to, yeah, that sense of just being constantly vulnerable. Yes. How much does that weigh on you? Like how often does it cross your mind that something bad could happen? Every day. Every day. Multiple times a day. Whenever I leave the house. So me, I mean, if I'm not wearing a wig right now. I know I don't pass very well. But like when I wear a wig and such and I can put on a presentation, I feel like I'll pass from a distance and I'll be fine. But that if you get up close or talk to me or get face to face, I'm not going to. So what I'm worried about the situation is I'm walking down the street. There's some dude hanging out with his friends, catcalling and talking, oh, look at that hot girl, blah, blah, blah. Then they get close and realize I'm trans and he freaks out because now, as far as he sees it, he was sexually attracted to a dude. So now he freaks out because that makes him not straight and he's got to beat me down to prove his straightness to his friends. I mean, that's a situation that happens to people. That's what I'm kind of worried about, honestly. You can follow Unladylike on social media at Unladylike Media and sign up for their newsletter at unladylike.co forward slash newsletter. They even have a hotline which you can leave a message at at 262-8-GAL-PAL. That is 262-8-G-A-L-P-A-L. And once again, Unladylike Media is U-N-L-A-D-Y-L-I-K-E-M-E-D-I-A. Friends, at Henderson's Pants, we've noticed that adults, teens, and children are not the only ones wearing the pants in the family these days. Believe it or not, even little babies are fond of wearing a well-tailored pant now and again. But up until now, they were limited in their selection of lower body garments in that most of what is available are simply just baby pants. Baggy, shapeless, and with little to show off that fast-developing physique. Henderson's is proud to introduce Henderson's Toddler Trousers. These slick slacks are the kind of infant wear that can make even the most preoccupied paste eater sit up and take notice. The extra layers of material in the knee and buttock help to assure hours of comfortable crawling and soft landings for when baby goes boom. And the bit of extra given the crotch keeps your tyke from that most unsightly of sandbox no-nos, the dreaded diaper toe. Isn't it about time for Junior to crawl out in comfort and style? Henderson's toddler trousers come in a variety of luxurious fabrics, the kind found in the finest men's suits on the market today. 
But Henderson Serge, Corduroy, and Linenstock has been married with state-of-the-art polyfiber blends, which not only assure years of durable wear, but enough stretchability that today's baby will still be wearing those spiffy duds when it comes time to accept his or her diploma as your now-adult offspring graduates from high school. Originally designed for use by Hollywood's little people, jockeys, and chimpanzee astronauts, Henderson's toddler trousers are now available wherever clothes for tiny little humans are sold. That's Henderson's makers of fine trousers and pantaloons since 1896. And now, back to Succotash. Uh, thank you, Bill Haywatt, our announcer. Uh, thank you, Henderson's, for continuing to, uh, to sponsor Succotash. We love you. Next up, Food to Watch Film Spy by Johnny and Adam. In the iTunes description, it says, Join Johnny, Adam, and Pablo on their experimental voyage through the combination of food and films. Disclaimer, some foods suggested may not be safe for human consumption, or even legal for that matter. You have been warned. Episodes of this podcast will be released 10th of each month. Now, the first episode posted on iTunes on the 22nd of December in 2016. But this clip is going to be from an episode called Scary Mary's Marvelous Medicine and the Podcast of the Dead, released 27th of April, 2018. And its description reads, Greetings to all of those still alive, i.e. you. Since that horrendous nuclear fallout that happened at the start of the year, remember that, all transmissions from the Food to Watch Films by podcast ceased, as the world feel into darkness, desolation, and general deadness. This previously unreleased episode, however, has since been discovered and is now available for you to enjoy as you attempt to continue to survive within this post-apocalyptic hell. In this found-footage-style episode, Johnny, Adam, and Pablo will be taking you through their review of the films of 2018 that were meant to be released, but weren't, as everyone is now dead. Listen in as they share what their predictions were for the 2018 releases The Commuter, Mary Poppins Returns, and Day of the Dead Bloodline. Stay frosty, it's about to get... Er, something. Now, I should point out this clip is also from a special segment within their show called Cupboard Cast, hosted by Pablo. It is happening again. It is happening again. How do, how do, Pablo here, um, Happy New Year, and uh, Happy New Cupboard Cast. Um, now, as of late, I've generally been focusing most of my attention on 80s B-list children's entertainers such as the Chuckle Brothers and the Crankies, um, Halcyon Days, but... Much like many things, I must put them behind me. Um, yeah, so this year, 2018, thought I'd go a little bit uh, higher up the old totem pole. Um, found myself here in Skywalker Ranch, a little bit of a clue. Uh, to find the creative mind behind such greats as uh, American Graffiti, Willow, and um, a little series of films known as The Star Wars. Uh, yes, um... So yeah, it's um, I would say it's a lot different than I imagined. Uh, obviously, it looks like a ranch from the outside. Um, as soon as you step inside, pretty much, um, pretty much exactly like some sort of battle cruiser from um, the old Star Wars series. There, um, I've uh, managed to put myself in uh, this little cupboard. Um, unfortunately, um, doesn't seem to be able to have a lock 
on the inside to get back out. So I'm, I'm stuck in here for as far as I can tell. Um, but whilst I'm here, I'll, um, I'll mention the podcast I've been listening to as of late. Um, Stop and Search podcast. That's Stop and Search. Um, podcast from Jason Reed as part of the um, um, Scroobius Pips Network. Uh, distraction pieces. Um, now, uh, essentially, it's just about um, drug law and prohibition in the UK and around the world, and has lots of experts on um, ex undercover police officers, um, lawyers, journalists, etc. And it's just um, dealing with the, the facts behind uh, prohibition and drug reform. So, uh, worth, a, worth a listen, whatever your stance on such things. Um, and it's nice to uh, be able to make your minds up on. On facts and facts alone, um, but yeah, um, I'll try this door again. No joy there. All right, there's a big red button, which is a doomsday scenario. Um, I can't think of any worse scenario um, than being locked inside a cupboard, so I'm gonna give that a press. That is loud. That's loud. Lots of red lights about. There's lots of commotion out there. I'm having a look through this little porthole I've got. Um, lots of um, stormtrooper-looking people running about. But there's George Luke. Oh, that's funny. You know, of all this time I've been doing these covered casts, it's very rare that I've actually found one of my quarries uh, seeking me out. But uh, I was banging on the door pretty hard. Desperate to get in. There's an escape pod, I don't know. Doomsday weapon. End of the world. I don't know. I don't know. Oh, it's a bit of rumbling in the cupboard here. I don't know if you can hear me, George, but I just want to say that Willow is a, a superb and underrated film. Uh, oh, I, think I'm, I think we're jettisoning from here. Oh, I think I think escape pod's right. Um, um, I'll have to sign off. Hopefully, I'll, I'll speak to somebody soon. Um, uh, to infinity and beyond! If you like what you heard and you'd like to hear more, you can find Food to Watch Film Spy. You can find the show at player.fm, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and iTunes. And you can follow the show on Twitter at FTWFB Podcast or go to www.foodtowatchfilmspy.com. That's F O O D T O W A T C H F I L M S B Y. All right, coming in at number five. A show called Pretending with Dice by Adam Johnston. According to the iTunes description, it is a tabletop gaming RPG podcast hosted by Adam Johnston, playing various RPG systems in short story arcs and one-shots. Expect comedy, some strong language, and a lot of fun. Adam Johnston previously had a soundcast called Sup Dude that he co-hosted with Nathan Taylor, which ran for five years and whose end was announced on Twitter on May 19, 2017. But Adam's new soundcast, Pretending with Dice, has been dropping episodes on iTunes since May 5th of 2017 and just began a new cycle of RPG goodness. The clip is from episode 25, Yavin Exodus, from Star Wars Saga Edition RPG game, which they just began, episode release on May 23rd, 2018. And in its description, it reads, In the wake of their successful attack on the Death Star, the Rebel Alliance must evacuate their headquarters on the moon of Yavin 4 before Imperial reinforcements arrive. Alderanian ex-smuggler Klain is assigned to the flight crew of the freighter Close Encounter. Cortez finds himself flying patrol with a talkative Salustan, who tries his patience, and meanwhile, on Nubia, Ugnat droid expert Thok carries out a daring heist on an Imperial droid factory. 
I particularly like that this soundcast also has music and sound effects. The last reverberations of celebratory applause mixed with the roar of a Wookiee finally die down, leaving an expectant hush over the assembled crowd of Alliance personnel in the main hall of the Great Temple on Yavin 4. Pilots, soldiers, engineers, human and non-human, stand in their neat rows facing the raised dais as sunlight floods into the chamber from above. The atmosphere is one of buoyant relief, as only hours before, the desperate attack on the Death Star by the brave pilots of red and gold groups had succeeded, although at a great and final cost to most of those sent against it. Taking a few moments to collect herself, exchanging smiles with the other Alliance leadership on the dais, and a small nod to the young pilot Luke Skywalker, upon whom she had just bestowed a medal, Princess Leia Organa of Alderaan steps forward. We have much to be grateful for today. Thanks to your courage, we have delivered a telling blow to the Empire with the destruction of their Death Star. But our own casualties were not small. Let us take a moment to honour the lost souls of Alderaan, to honour Viceroy Bail Organa and Queen Brea Organa. May they forever be remembered. Around you, Klein, uh, many bow their heads in thought, and you can't help but think deeply on the princess's words. You left Alderaan behind many years ago, and now that it has gone forever, you're not sure what to feel. After a few seconds, General Jan Dodonna, commander of the Alliance Military Forces here on Yavin 4, steps forward. Would that there were a proper time to mourn, but the Empire now knows our location. Therefore, our first priority is to find a new base of operations. Each of you has been assigned a station for dismantling and transporting. Some of you will be asked to scout for potential outposts. All of you are invaluable. Through you, the Alliance lives to fight on. Now, to your stations, and may the Force be with us all. With the General bringing the ceremony to a close, the various assembled personnel begin to disperse, with a purpose, uh, heading off to begin the process of evacuating the base. Standing alone, Klein, what would you like to do? Klein is pleased that uh, there's a victory for the Rebellion, but inside he's hiding some concern that if the, if the Empire does know where the Rebels are at the moment, how long is it going to be until they catch up to them? and he's kind of wondering what he's going to be able to do in this situation. Because he wasn't up there with the other squadrons. He was on the ground, and he wonders, he's wondering what kind of use he's going to be at the moment, because he's, he's been at the ceremony, but he doesn't know what... He actually doesn't know what he's doing next. He's just thrown in his lot. As you make your way out of the hall, you do hear a, uh, a couple of other conversations between some other pilots that are expressing... Similar feelings, a lot of sort of, well, we're glad we won against the Death Star, but the knowledge that there's definitely more coming and, you know, we've got to move and this is, this is going to be a huge undertaking, you know, what are we going to do next sort of thing. You recognise a few people, but um, mostly people seem to be moving with a purpose and heading off to various stations. At this point, you hear over the um, announcement system, Green group. Well, that's me, I guess. 
Um, okay, so you head towards the briefing room. Um, the stones of the temple, sort of, uh, you've become quite familiar with them over the, uh, the course of the months that the rebellion's been camped out here. As you uh, approach the briefing room, you spot your wingmate, the Twi'lek pilot, Sailor Anro, approaching from the opposite direction. They greet you uh, with a nod. Ah, Klein, good to see you. What do you make of this briefing? What do you think they'll have us doing? Hey, Anro, absolutely no idea. Did you get a detail? Because everyone apparently has jobs to do, but I'm just wandering the corridors, not a clue what's happening. I'm thinking we will find it tricky to fly without any X-Wings. Mine was seconded to Red Group for the battle against the Death Star. Yeah, well, I'm as lost as you are. Where's the rest of the squadron? Are they already in there? I have also only just arrived. Uh, Let's go in and find out. Anro presses the door control, and the two of you head into the briefing room. All right, so if you like what you heard and you'd like to hear more, you can go to Podbean and Stitcher, as well as iTunes. You can follow the players on Twitter at MarkBDesign, that's M-A-R-K-B-D-E-S-I-G-N. The Doctor underscore number 12, which is T-H-E-D-O-C-T-O-R underscore N-O, the numeral 1 and the numeral 2, and Ollie Munster, O-L-L-I-E-M-U-N-S-T-E-R. You can find the show at Pretend with Dice on Twitter, P-R-E-T-E-N-D-W-I-T-H-D-I-C-E, and show creator Adam Johnston at AJHeretic666. That is A-J-H-E-R-E-T-I-C, numeral 6, numeral 6. Numeral 6. They also have a Facebook page, which is Pretend with Dice. And our final clip this evening is from a new soundcast called Unspooled by Earwolf, Paul Shear, and Amy Nicholson. The iTunes description reads, Paul Shear is a lifelong movie buff, but he's never seen many of the all-time greats. On Unspooled, his team-up with film critic Amy Nicholson, he's remedying that by watching the AFI's top 100 movies of all time to find out what makes classics like Citizen Kane and Taxi Drivers so special. Paul and Amy will dissect iconic scenes, talk to artists and industry experts, and discover just how these films got made. Hmm. It's familiar. And this clip is from the first episode, which is on Citizen Kane. It's released May 17, 2018. And the description reads, On episode one of Unspooled, Paul and Amy jump straight into the AFI's number one film of all time, Citizen Kane. They explain why it was almost never released, take a closer listen to Orson Welles' innovative use of sound, and try to answer the big questions. Is this really the best movie ever? Plus, an interview with a guest expert, cinematographer Steve Gaynor, on why Citizen Kane looks so incredible. This clip deals partially with the rivalry between film critics Luella Parsons and Hedda Hopper. So, with a movie this good, you have to wonder, how did it fare at the Oscars? You would think this movie would clean up, at least the way that we view Citizen Kane. It's the number one movie on the AFI list. It was nominated for Best Picture, Screenplay, Actor, Director, Cinematography, Art Direction, Editing, Music... And sound recording, but it only won for screenplay. Yeah, yeah, right. You would think that clearly Citizen Kane would just sort of saunter into the Academy Awards and be like, I'll just take all of these, please. I'll just put them like in my Boom, mansion done. of boxes to be labeled statuettes <laughs> for whenever I feel like opening up the, them up and looking at them. But, but no. It was screenplay, which it, it is certainly an amazing screenplay, but it broke through so many barriers. I mean, if you're not winning... A cinematography on this movie, who who could it have been? And the answer is simple. 
It's a movie called How Green Was My Valley. Are you familiar with How Green Was My Valley? I've never seen How Green Was My Valley, but I'm guessing the cinematography is very green. I, I have a look. I mean, it, maybe it's How Green Was It? Not so green. Or maybe it's <laughs> so green. I don't know. But as we did a little research, the movie is about the Morgans, a hardworking Welsh mining family living in the heart of South Wales during the 19th century. And the story chronicles life in the South Wales coal fields and the loss of that way of life and its effect on the family. Boring. That sounds boring. Well, but hey, you, I'm yes. Welsh. I'm Welsh. Okay, I, right. I admire right. they're making films about my people. I'm a tiny bit Welsh. All right. Let's, I'll, I'll take – did you uh, 23 and me that? Do you know that for <laughs> sure? Well, but then, still, that, How Green Is My Valley, that's not even on the AFI Top 100. No. And that one, Best Picture, Best Director, Best Supporting Actor, Best Cinematography, and Art Direction. Do you know what that says to me? What? That either says How Green Is My Valley is – fucking phenomenal and you and I are adults that we yeah. haven't watched this movie yet or it says Citizen Kane had some enemies this seems like a Weinstein style Oscar Ooh. smear campaign you did you know by the way that Citizen Kane is basically like the story of film Twitter of 1941 no tell me how okay so people are aware that William Randolph first hated this movie mm-hmm. Deliberately like this rosebud thing. Have you heard what rosebud really meant to William Randolph Hearst? It was his wife's clitoris? Yeah, it was his wife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> he was in love with an actually very good actor. This is the one thing that Orson Welles always said he felt bad about was that William Randolph Hearst was in love with an actress named Marion Davies. They were together for 32 years. Wow. And she was actually a really good actress. Okay. But people thought she was bad because of this movie. Oh, and wow. he always felt a little guilty about that. Yes. Um, but what happened was Orson Welles was like – this toast of Hollywood, as I was saying, and everybody loved him. They were so excited. And you know there were these two major gossip columnists, right? Luella Parsons and Hedda Hopper. Yes. So uh, they were always rivals. And what happened is Orson Welles showed this movie to Hedda Hopper, who was already a little bit mad because she wanted to be invited to see it earlier. And when she sees it, she calls William Randolph Hearst the next day. And Hearst employed her competitor, Luella. She calls him and she's like – Mr. Hurst, I don't know why Luella didn't tell you this picture was about you. So then Hurst gets mad and he yells at Luella Parsons. So then both Hedda Hopper and Luella are just fighting to prove to William Randolph Hurst how much they like him by dissing Citizen Kane. So it's basically this rival of two film journalists, film Twitter, 1940, 1941, starting this fight for their own benefit in a way and getting Hurst involved. And then when Hurst gets involved – he basically says to um, RKO who made Citizen Kane, he's like, well, I'm not going to put anything about any of your movies in this paper unless you burn the film. He really wow. wanted them to burn the film and he put this pressure on all of Hollywood. He was like, you know what, Hollywood? You're not that good at being like moral and righteous. What if my papers start telling all the studios what's wrong with all of the films? And so like Louis B. Mayer, everybody got involved and they're like, you got to burn this film. Whoa. And then it cut, cause it kind of went underground for a bit, right? It had a resurgence in like the 50s, a little bit. It Is did. It? Yeah. Cause like what happened was Orson Welles basically like showed it to every single person he right. could think of. Like it was like test screenings for Oscar stuff. Yeah. It was like everybody come in and watch my movie. They might burn it. But if enough people watched it, he thought they would say, it's good. Don't burn it. Yeah. He would get people on their side. And then the story is he showed it to, he had to show it to the censors who were going to make the final decision about yeah. whether or not they could have it. And what he did is he knew the censor in particular that who was going to be there was really Catholic. So he put a rosary in his pocket and when they were walking out of the screening room, he dropped his rosary and he was like, oh, excuse me. And he picked it up and he was like, that rosary is why this movie got shown. Wow. Yeah. That's really interesting. 
Hearst was essentially running a smear campaign to, uh, you know, to get this movie out of the, the limelight. He really did. But also, I feel like RKO was so nervous, they didn't know how to really market it. I mean, do you know what their tagline was when they were trying to sell Citizen Kane? What was it? This was their tagline. It's terrific. That's <laughs> it. That's all they came up with. Citizen I Kane. I love it's it. It's terrific. Unspooled has a voicemail line. You can reach them at 747-666-5824. And you can follow them on Twitter at unspooled at u-n-s-p-o-o-l-e-d you can also listen to the show on airwolf and art 19 and you can reach out to hosts paul Shear on twitter at p-a-u-l-s-c-h-e-e-r and amy nicholson at the amy nicholson t-h-e-a-m-y-n-i-c-h-o-l-s-o-n we're going to close the show out with our final burst of durst this one is called Oval Office Apprentice, in which our intrepid correspondent worries the president is caught in a reality television loop. Hey guys, Will Durst here with a few choice words about the president playing reality television on the world stage. Makes sense. After all, that was his greatest public triumph and what he thinks he's really good at, which could explain why every day is another episode of Oval Office Apprentice. To him, it's all a game show. Today, watch Donald Trump consider pardoning Martha Stewart. Tomorrow, Donald Trump reverses his decision to cancel the Kim Jong-un summit. Oh, wait, now it's back on. Or is it? Later this week, don't miss the identity of the next person to be voted off the island. You're fired. And in case you even thought of not tuning in, here are some previews of the rest of the season that will finish with the November midterm madness. The Super Sucking Up Contest, featuring various writer-than-right-wingers who want the former real estate developer to campaign for them. Watch as they compete to see who can create the most powerful suction noise. The sparks fly when intra-party brawls break out between cabinet members trying to top each other by blaming Hillary Clinton for everything the president is accused of. From Russian collusion to separating immigrant children from their mothers. And in a shocking twist, you'll never guess which disgraced and ousted staff member makes an inspirational and tearful return. Meanwhile, in the wings, Vice President Mike Pence waits to be handed a rose. You gotta admit, it's never boring. Just don't be surprised if and when the master game player dangles the ultimate cliffhanger, nuclear war. You don't want to miss that episode. The First Lady may even make an appearance. No, probably not. For Suckatash, the comedy soundcast soundcast, I'm Will Durst. You can reach out to Will Durst on Twitter at W-I-L-L-D-U-R-S-T. You can go to WillDurst.com for his dates and deets and a link to the 2014 documentary Three Still Standing, which follows three veteran stand-up comedians who are Will Durst, Johnny Steele, and Larry Bubbles Brown as they struggle to survive the downfall of comedy in a changing world. And just like that, the show is done. I hope you leave this listening experience with at least one new idea of where to listen next when you wish to get your audio fix, as it were. I'm off to rustle up some more clips from soundcasts I've recently heard of, soundcasts I've known of for a while, and soundcasts I have yet to discover. Maybe even something that's been featured before, because why not? So until next time, I've been Tyson Saner, and I'd greatly appreciate it if you might visit www.suckatashshow.com or even TysonSainer.com, if you have any interest in any of the other things I've created during this life. And of course, I'd like to thank you for being here. And if you have any interest in the continuation of this free soundcast, I would most gratefully and gently urge you to please...
past the Succotash. You've been listening to Succotash Clips, the comedy soundcast soundcast with your host, Tyson Saner. Brought to you by Henderson's Pants and... Imagine your company's name right here. Find us on the web at SuckatashShow.com, on iTunes, on Stitcher Smart Radio, on SoundCloud, on YouTube, on Donder, on Blitzen, on iHeartRadio, and on... <laughs> a laughable app. You can hear us streaming and like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Suckatash Show. Email us at TysonSaner at SuckatashShow.com. Or call into the Suckatash hotline at our toll or call number 818-921-7212. That number again is 818-921-7212. You can also upload clips from your favorite comedy soundcasts directly to us by using our direct upload link at itail.com slash you slash Succotash. Production of Succotash is overseen by Joe Paulino through the auspices of Studio P. Sausalito, hosted by Tyson Saner. Our executive producer is Mark Hershon. Our musical director is Scott Carvey. Our booth assistant is Kenny Durges. Until next time, I'm your loyal booth announcer, Bill Haywatt, reminding you to please pass the Succotash. Goodbye. Goodbye.